Welcome to Palkus's Next Gen, the show where we discuss issues related to young Portuguese Americans ranging from 18 years old to 35. Our goal is to ensure that our culture strives by focusing on the achievements of the latest generation, with the hope of discovering their secrets to success and continuing to inspire the Portuguese American community at large. Because in our community, Nosh got next and Nosh got now. Our guest this week is attorney Danielle Angelo. Graduate of Roger Williams University School of Law, Ms. Angelo is currently employed at the law office of Michael C. Lima, where she is practicing in the area of civil litigation while maintaining an interest in residential real estate and estate planning. All right, Danielle. Oh, you're great. Let's, you're great. Let's, I'm excited. I'm very excited. All right. Tell us a little bit about, uh, first of all, I guess what it was like growing up. You're obviously from New Bedford. Uh, what it was like growing up there, uh, any memories you might have that, uh, you know, sort of specifically Portuguese, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, grew up in the Dartmouth, New Bedford area, mm-hmm. uh, which is funny because when I was little, I thought that that was a representation of the entire country. Oh, wow. You know, I thought this is awesome. You know, my little community is Portuguese. This is probably how the world is. And then as I get older, I realize, you know what, that's not such the case. Um, But just being surrounded by so many Portuguese people, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Both my parents are from the Azores. um, And we grew up with a lot of, you know, traditional values, a lot of the Um, traditions that we have going to all of the festas, you know, and, you know, taking part in uh, religious traditions, things like that, Um, cooking traditional food every Sunday with, you know, my grandparents. Um, That was the norm for me. And then, you know, explaining that to people, um, explaining to people that I have, you know, more cousins than I can count. And they're like, well, I have three, you know, things like this is just, it's it's the kind of stuff that other Portuguese people understand. but not everyone. And, you know, as I grew up, I realized how special it was to have that. I think the family values is just far beyond everything else. You know, on Sundays, it was always, you know, you visit with the family, we play cards, we make traditional Portuguese dishes, we enjoy, we share, um, we tell stories, we laugh, we drink wine. Um, And that for me was the best way to spend time. You know, I'm 28 years old now. That's still my favorite way to spend time. So not much has changed there. Um, And I, so I really appreciate having that instilled from a young age uh, and just, just having that sense of community, having that sense of family. um, I think that above all else makes Portuguese culture just so incredibly special. And, uh, you know, you mentioned both your parents uh, from the Azores. Can you tell me, can you tell us a little bit about uh, sort of them. And, and I mean, just a little bit more too about like uh, sort of your extended family. I know you have yeah. a tight, tight knit crew over there. So uh, we do. We do. Uh, so my mom is from Sao Miguel. My dad's from San Jorge. Um, most of my mom's family is here. So they're all pretty local. And my dad's family, honestly, I don't know because they're spread out between this area. There's some in Florida, there's some in Canada, and there's still a whole lot still back in Portugal. Um, so they came over, my mom was about five, I believe my dad was about nine. Um, and they actually moved to New Bedford on rivet street and they ended up being neighbors and that's how they met. Um, so they've known each other their whole lives and and that's incredible. Um, we actually went back. I've only been back to the Azores once. 
Um, that was the first time they've been back since they immigrated here uh, was, I believe, around 1996. Um, so that was a good, you know, 20 some odd years since they'd been here. Um, and since then, they've been back a whole bunch of times. Uh, I think they're actually getting the itch to go back soon. And my dad talks about it, how he grew up um, with a, some of the most humble upbringings you can think of. You know, he talks about how um, he didn't have bed didn't have running water, didn't have any of that. Um, they came here, they worked really hard. They're both educators now. They're getting close to retirement, which is awesome. They deserve it. Um, but they've really built a life for themselves, but they still appreciate how hard they've worked and where they've come from. Um, they're great people. That's something that's so special. And that's something that I hope I can make them proud. And do you kind of see some of those values uh, reflected in your own life? Like I think of my parents, uh, very similar story. My mom was born in Portugal, didn't have running water, also an educator, funny enough. Um, how do you see those values playing out in your life? Because I think our generation, often we might lose track of them or the values might pop, pop up in kind of unexpected ways where other people are like, you know, why do you do that that way? Why are you frugal? Why are you this? Why are you that? A hundred percent. You mentioned being frugal. Oh my gosh. I take bargain shopping like it's a competitive sport same you know i'm one of those people that will be like okay i need to go clothes shopping i'm gonna bring a hundred dollars what's the most stuff that i can get because i am not buying anything designer um <laughs> you know a shirt is a shirt it doesn't matter if it costs me 200 bucks or if it costs me two dollars i'd rather get the cheap ones and i can get more um you know stuff like that and we laugh about it but um, you know, no matter how hard you work, there's still that value of coming from nothing. It just gives you an appreciation. Um, and then as far as the family values that I was talking about, um, my, my fiance, we actually had a really good talk about this the other day of how, uh, he kind of poured his heart out a little bit about how special my family was to him. Um, that was really beautiful to hear from, you know, kind of an, an outsider and saying, you know, like, wow, even from the beginning, I saw how close you were. Uh, and he's like, honestly, I'm kind of jealous, you know, and he is, his family is wonderful. Um, but we're just, we're just next level. Um, I don't have siblings, but like I said, I have a ton of cousins and I never feel alone. Uh, when the pandemic started, it was heartbreaking that we couldn't all be together, but we would be on group FaceTimes all the time. We would do group game nights just like this on Zoom. Um, you can stop us because that's, that's what it was about. Love it. Andrew, do you know how many cousins you have? Can you count them? Uh, first cousins, I only have. I have like a total of a total of uh, let's see, six. Yeah. Okay. Not too many, but yeah, I yeah. know all my second, third cousins. I've met my sixth cousins. Right. <laughs> right. No. The Portuguese people, I feel like, are the original twenty-three in me. Yeah. Like exactly. you know what I mean? Like every. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, like, like a oh, third cousin. Like I'm not impressed by that. You got to go further. You have to go further. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny though. But you, I mean, you talked a little bit about values and stuff, and. Um, and sort of in your, like sort of growing up, you know, with sort of humble beginnings from your father. Um, and obviously you've come pretty far. So, you know, tell us a little bit um, about sort of like what uh, what it is that you do, what's your position, uh, sort of where you're at right now. Uh, yeah. So uh, as Kayla knows, I am an attorney. Uh, I'm licensed in the state of Massachusetts right now. I am uh, new to the world of real estate law, uh, which is which is great. Um, I think something special that I really want to bring to it is the fact that, like I said, with my parents, they work so hard. Um, they put a lot of work into their home. They bought the ugliest house 
um, and just, you know, put their heart and soul into it. And, you know, to segue a little bit, like you've seen Portuguese lawns, you know how much the pride of ownership <laughs> is and how immaculate, how immaculate these homes are. Um, my neighbor right across the street from me is Portuguese and we, we bond over that all the time. He'll be like, I like the flowers that you planted. I'm like, your grass looks great. Um, and we joke about it, but there's just this pride of ownership and working hard for something. Uh, I purchased my first home about a year and a half ago. Um, and same thing. I love just building something and making it something special. Um, it, it kind of is a physical structure that embodies life a little bit and embodies those kind of values, taking something and just making it beautiful, making it the best that it can be. Um, you know, it's so much deeper than just the walls that it is. Um, I don't even know where I was going with this, but here so we are. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. No, you were, saying, you were any, talking about like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So was there any like one moment that convinced you that you wanted to do law? Because for, I know for a lot of people, like they say, you know, I was a kid, I wanted to be like a lawyer. But there's yeah. some people who just say like, Hey, here was this one moment when I realized it. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a ballerina. Nice. So no, no, basically it was, I like dancing. So I want to be a ballerina. And then it was, I like animals. So I want to be a vet. Like there wasn't anything deep down. Um, there wasn't much thought to it until I got to high school. It was sophomore year of high school in uh, in history class. We um, were doing a debate. Very simple. Who was the best president? That was it. Okay. So we were randomly assigned and I got Jimmy Carter. All right, cool. Now, you know, you hear all this stuff of, you know, FDR, only president that's been elected three terms. He did all this stuff, you know, kept the country together through a war. Jimmy Carter seems like a cool dude. Not really has a whole lot of chapters in the history books, you know? So I'm like, damn, this is going to be an uphill battle. And I made it to the finals, you know, with good old Jimmy Carter, which, you know, when you're 16 or whatever it was, I'm like, all right, this is cool. And my teacher just joked saying, wow, I never thought that was going to happen. No offense to you, but just, you know, your subject matter, you know, wasn't the most enlightening. So, you know, he did a great job. He should be a lawyer, lawyer one day. And for him, it was probably just, you know, a whatever compliment. Um, but I went home from school that day and my dad did the usual, hey, how was your day? Tell me about it. Um, my dad used to teach U.S. history and geography at the time. So I'm like, oh, hey, in my, you know, in my history class, this is what we did. And I did well. And he's like, you know what? I can really see that for you. And that's kind of what started it for me um, was just kind of an offhand comment that probably didn't have much thought behind it from my teacher. Brought it home, said it to my dad. And then I'm like, you know what? I wonder. And here we are. Here we are. I kind of took it, ran with it, started, you know, positions along the way to learn a little bit, um, found out that it's something that I could be passionate about. And fast forward, you can probably see my my degree behind me. And, and here we are. So it worked out. Um, so you, you were talking about like, uh, like purchasing your own home and like just knowing you a little bit, like I know, you know, the decision that, you know, you got like that was a very difficult decision and obviously like uh you put a lot of thought into it and very were very intentional uh with sort of like even even down to like who you were choosing because at that time you weren't in real estate you know mm -hmm. uh who you were choosing to represent you mm -hmm. um and 
I'm, I'm curious. I mean, we, I'm not even sure if we really talked about this all that much, um, but I'm curious, like, like what made you seek out uh, a Portuguese lawyer? Like you're, you know, at this, at this point, you're yeah. an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a lot of people in the field, you have contacts. Mm-hmm. Like what made you seek out a Portuguese? It's attorney? funny. Cause my real estate agent was as well, not planned, not planned at all. Um, but it's one of those things that from the first conversation, it's like, I feel like I'm friends with this person. That's pretty much it. And it's one of those things that it either happens or it doesn't. I met a whole lot of people because I wanted to make the decision um, methodically. I wanted to do it, you know, based on, you know, a good financial thought process, not just based on emotion. But connecting with the professionals that I did along the way, that was pure gut feeling. If it was, I see myself, I see the values that I represent in the way that these people are, you know, conveying their profession to me. They're the kind of people that I want to be like. They're the kind of people that I want to work with. Um, So there was no intention. There was no checklist behind it. It was just a matter of from the moment we had our first conversation out of curiosity, mm-hmm. it was all right. I can, you know, I can really get behind the work that you're doing. I want to work with you, you know, and it was, those were people that I was happy to give my business to. Um, Cause they're the kind of people that I also wanted to be. No doubt. Um, so like, obviously uh, right now, and you said you were recently in real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to skip us a little bit of like the trajectory? Maybe, you know, if you want to go back for, further, that's okay. But if you want to just go back from law school and just sort of like walk us through sort of your pathway, because obviously this, you know, this podcast is in part to sort of inspire people to see like there are different pathways to get to where you want to go. Um, so we want oh, yeah. to to highlight that. Oh, yeah. So in law school, I was all about, um, I'm going to call it the sexy stuff. I was all into the sexy stuff. And you probably know what I mean if you turn on, if you turn on TV. Law and order. Oh yeah. That's sexy. You know, people doing stuff in the courtroom. That's sexy. Uh, so in school I did, you know, I did a bit of prosecution. I did a bit of criminal defense. I was in the courtroom all the time because that's, that's exhilarating. That's the stuff that makes people excited, you know? Um, but then I, I realized it's, you know, such work, such dedication goes into that, which, and while that's amazing, I didn't know if that was sustainable for me for a career. So it kind of just happened that after school, my, um, you know, first major job was doing um, civil litigation. So I did that for a couple of years and enjoyed it. But again, you know, after a couple of years, thought long and hard and said, you know what, this isn't necessarily something that I can do for a full career. So let me take a step back. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm young. I'd rather try something and figure out that it's not for me because then I'm still moving in the right direction. So moving in the right direction. I've just crossed something else off the list. I don't have to, you know, circle one right now. I just crossed something off the list and it narrows it down more. Um, and then ever since, you know, purchasing this property, um, I want to bring the happiness that home brought me to other people. It's kind of the thought that went into it. And then that's when it kind of clicked. You know what? I can still bring my love for the law, my love for this profession into something more transactional, but still make it special without all the drama behind it. Um, and that's kind of where I ended up where I am. And uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. That's awesome. And so 
kind of along those lines, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced either in law school or in undergrad or, or even as an attorney right now? And how has like the kind of tool set that um, your parents and your family and your community um, have given you, how has that helped you overcome that? So, before, before you, yeah, before you start, Danielle, I'm just going to say yeah. like, uh, you know, like the popular like uh, stereotype of Portuguese people is that, you know, we're hardworking. Um, having worked with you, I know you're hardworking. Andrew, Thank I've, you. I've, I've, Thank Andrew you. I've spent some good times with Andrew. I know he's a hardworking dude. So, um, you know, maybe outside of like, you know, sort of a work ethic uh, standpoint, I, you know, I'd love to get your your thoughts on that. Just because, you know, part part of this podcast, I think what we're trying to do, too, is also like uh, dispel certain uh, stereotypes, stereotypes or maybe go yeah. or maybe move beyond them. I shouldn't even say dispel because obviously because we are hardworking, uh, move beyond them. So, um, you know, if you if you can, um, I would love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you asked about challenges and then kind of what helped me overcome it. I'm kind of going to answer that backwards. So I think the one thing that kept me going so much was just the support. Simple as that. Um, my When I first started at law school, I actually went to University of Missouri, Kansas City, because my thought oh, nice. was- Close to where I'm from. Really? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm born and raised, like I said, uh, in Massachusetts. So I'm a total New Englander. Um, had never been to the Midwest. And I thought, you know what? Law school is an adventure. Let's Let's go. Um, you know, and financially things are cheaper in the Midwest. So I thought, you know, okay, let's try this out. Um, and then after a year, I wasn't doing so hot, you know, mentally, aside from law school being very difficult, um, not even going to expand on that law school's hard, simple as that, um, being away from my family, man, like that at first, yes, I'm pretty independent. You know, I, I like my space. I, I'm, I like doing my thing. I love my family, but I'm an independent thinker, but being physically separated from them for that long, that just beat me down. That just beat me down. And I've been so blessed to have this such supportive family that I do that even having them in close proximity, I needed that. So I moved home. I moved back and I transferred to Roger Williams and all of a sudden my grades started to flourish and I ended up graduating with honors. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, correlation equals causation, but I think just having the familiar, like familiarity, um, I'm glad I did it because it gave me a better appreciation from, for home. Simple as that. So just having support, even if I didn't need it at any given moment, just knowing it would be there, um, was everything to me. Um, and then some other challenges, honestly, being a woman, I'm going to put it out there. It is tough. It's 2021. Sometimes it is tough being a woman. Uh, I'm a 28 year old woman. I also happen to be a lawyer and some people don't take me seriously for it. Some people don't like me for it. And yeah, I'm going to fight that every step of the way. Um, but I'm not going to lie and say that uh, that hasn't been an apparent reason for disrespect along the way. So it's been a challenge. And I'm going to keep fighting it to keep paving the way for, for other lady lawyers and professionals along the way. Speak on it, Daniel. Um, oh, let's go preach. I'm just saying, um, you know, it's, you know, it's just a harp on sort of that like first point, like, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. Cause like in some ways it kind of, I mean, it does really reflect the culture. Like if we're, if we're thinking sort of about like the, the legacy of Portuguese people and obviously we, I mean, we definitely could talk, you know, about um you know some of the narratives and how uh they can be hurtful and harmful but mm -hmm. sort of this legacy of explorers 
I mean, obviously there's, there's issues with that, but this idea of like going out of your comfort zone, going somewhere new and trying to do mm-hmm. find something else. So like that, that concept, I think is something, it's something maybe deep within, um, you know, you think about sort of the immigrant story, this is also true, right? right. You, they have no idea where they're going. Let me just go. Like, I guess we're going to America. Sure. Fall river, Bristol. I don't know. Like, Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're like, there's water nearby. That's kind of close, I guess. Uh, but you know, that sort of thing is like, like, I find that so interesting. And then I also, I also think like something that you said is like really universal, like this idea of like, you feel so like, uh, it's not even like protection, I think. Um, but I do think it's a sense of, it's a sense of home. I do, I do think that that's something that, I mean, we can talk about Sadad and everything else, but like, this idea that like we are stronger together. And then sometimes mm-hmm. it's like when, when those things are pulled away, even if it's for like, you know, um, for a noble cause, for a noble reason, like I want to go and I want to try something new or I want to go and, uh, you know, challenge myself and that kind of thing. And then, but it is, it is interesting, like the, the coming back to it. You know, I think, I think a lot of people like within our community, like really connect with that. And it's interesting, like just having written a little bit about, this topic like in the past like how it really like crosses generations like there are people that are like that you know 35 who reached out to me that you know found that to be to be similar to their experience there are people it's like you're, you're in Iowa and you like you where this like you, you you that's the part you connected with like it's crazy mm-hmm. to me like you know like Austria like it's just it's like insane like um, when I think about it, like, so I think that's something that's very universal. And I don't know, like, if it's talked about in a way, like in the context of like mental health in particular. And if it's not, it should be, you know, I, right. I mean, obviously it's a big issue these days. Um, but I do, I do think like, you know, maybe that's something like, <laughs> maybe it's something worth exploring. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'll just, sort of my thoughts rambling if anyone wants to say I think it's interesting because it probably cuts both ways depending on what your relationship with your family and the people around you is like right um you know I know people not necessarily within the Portuguese community although I'm sure it happens a lot uh, where they don't get along so well with their parents either they have you know an identity that's not necessarily respected by their parents or something like that and so in some senses there can be like a constricting side of it Uh, but at the same time like like both of you have mentioned there's also like this freeing side of having supportive family. And I think even outside of just one's like family by birth, uh, I think that a broader community can like speak to those identities even outside of the family. Like if your family is not necessarily the most accepting or the most open, Mm -hmm. I think that the Portuguese community often provides like outlets for that and places to be and friends to have. So I think it's just so important to us. And having grown up in like the middle of the country, you know, we were the only Portuguese family around. so it was, it was challenging. And my parents did that same thing. They moved back to Canada where everyone had come to uh, in the first place from Portugal after like 23 years in the heartland. It's kind of a calling of like, you got to go back at some point. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just so essential to, to drive home about our narrative in America and Canada, wherever we settled, is that we're always looking for home. So true. So well said. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think that's great. And it's, it's funny because um, when I went to school in Boston for undergrad, if I was wearing a Bruin shirt, anyone on the train, on the street, 
would just high five me and be like, you're awesome because we had that thing in common. Right. Now I moved to East Providence. There is a you know prevalent Portuguese community here. If I display in any way, shape or form, my Portuguese background, it's the same reaction where those like-minded people will come up and high five me and say, hey, you're awesome. Or, hey, where are you from? Or whatever it is. And you immediately just start talking. Kind of like what I said before about, you know, I, I found professionals that I really resonated with. Um, same thing in the community. You can just stumble upon someone off the street, but you have that in common. And I dare you to not become instant friends. There's just this unspoken rule of connection. And I don't know how else to describe it, but it's palpable. And I, you know, I, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, but there's just this, this team bonding type of thing. That's just this unspoken rule that you get each other. Doesn't matter how different you are. doesn't matter if you're entirely different ages, you know, you just get each other. Um, so yeah, kind of like what Andrew was saying, even aside from the close-knit family, just having a community that you identify with is so empowering, you know? And I think I took that for granted for a while until I left it. And then I was in this other community and I felt, um, I felt like a foreigner. I was still in the US, you know? I, I really wasn't that far away, um, but I was so out of my comfort zone. That was, that was wild for me, you know, and I'm glad I did because like I said, I got a better appreciation for home. Um, but I think that just really demonstrates the power of community and, you know, what that can really do for, for a person. It helped me on my journey. That's for sure. No. Um, and you, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, your firm, cause I know like, you know, there's a lot more, uh, you know, Portuguese speaking attorneys, for example, or uh, Portuguese speakers, I should say, within your firm. So, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily, even in a place like East Providence or mm -hmm. in, even in New Bedford, that that's necessarily something like I personally experienced. And I don't know if Andrew mm -hmm. um, has seen a lot of that. Um, so I think it's sort of a um, unique experience. I mean, right now I'm, I'm, you know, with a nonprofit that uh, was started by a Portuguese speaker from, or Portuguese, Portuguese descendant, excuse me, uh, from New Bedford. And so, you know, there's it's me and another Portuguese attorney and, and someone else as well. But, um, but, but I do think that that's sort of uncommon. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, you can, can you speak a little bit about sort of the culture, maybe like of the firm or like in dealing with certain clients and this like the, like, obviously don't, you don't feel the need to, yeah. you know, no confidential stuff, but uh, to the extent that you can just sort of that dynamic, I would love to hear. Uh, what you'd have to say about that. Absolutely. I mean, one of, I would say the biggest thing that drew me to this firm was just the sense of um, family. And there actually are a lot of family members um, to the owner. The owner's last name is Lima. So yes, he is Portuguese. Um, so although not from mainland, not from the Azores, um, his father's from Cape Verde. So a little bit different, but still, there's still the same type of values. Um, I'm probably the most, um, the, the strongest Portuguese speaker there, um, which even that leaves a little bit to be desired. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of Portuguese speaking happening in the office. However, that still that sense of community, um, you know, from the first time I, I talked to my now boss was, you know, just trying to convey, we want everyone who comes in to feel like they're part of the group. We want everyone who comes in, 
no matter where they come from, to feel like they belong and they're deserving of, you know, the title of homeowner, whether they're an investor and they have done this a hundred times, whether this is their first time, we want them to feel like they belong. We want them to feel like they get it. Um, and like they have us behind them, you know? And then I'm like, oh my God, that's so great. That's like exactly, you know, what I'm about. That's exactly what drives me. Um, Danielle, don't be modest about not speak. Like you're a far better Portuguese speaker than I. I mean, Andrew, Andrew as well, but don't, don't be modest about that. Uh, no, yeah, don't. I don't want um, that. So, I mean, we do have, we do have translators on call for, for when it's needed for Portuguese, Spanish. Um, we haven't really come across any other languages, um, you know, locally, but if the need arose, we certainly would step up to the plate. Um, cause again, we want it to be accessible for everyone. Simple as that. Um, and I think just having that position behind the business is what makes it special. I know you said like, um, you know, investors or people buying a home, stuff like that. Like, can you tell us a little bit about sort of the, the issues that you would encounter, like, you know, as a real estate attorney, uh, for example, and obviously don't, you don't have to go into specifics. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of it is contractual. A lot of it is financial. Um, a lot of it is a lot of times it's someone who knows what they're doing versus someone who doesn't. And it's making sure the person who doesn't is still protected and not taken advantage of. Um, Cause there's a lot of people that do this for a living and are very, very successful and are very, very good at what they do. Um, so a big part of our jobs is making sure that the people who are hesitant and feel overwhelmed because they are a novice in this world are still going to be okay to make sure that their financial interests are going to be protected, to make sure that their values in protecting their family and building home or whatever their goal is for this property, whether it's to use it, you know, financially to flip or to use it as a way to build their family, that they are comfortable, that they're protected. Um, especially the more, you know, I'm gonna say financially vulnerable community. There aren't people that can just go and purchase a house cash. Um, they don't get a lot of redos if, you know, something goes wrong with the first one. So making sure that, okay, they're set up sustainably to make sure that they're well-educated, that they're well-informed every step of the way, and that can contractually they're protected in case, you know, something unexpected happens. We just went through a year and a half of a pandemic, you know, unexpected things happen all the time. So, you know, we just want to be ready for everything. Um, most of the time people are great. Most of the time people are trusting, but you always got to look out to, you know, still protect your best interests, protect, you know, your family's best interests, um, to just ease the mind a little bit. So that's what, that's what we're here for, to make sure that everyone has the same accessibility to this world. You think like, uh, there's any, like, like, just this one, just a quick one, Andrew, like if there's any like sort of like uh, big misconceptions and maybe that or like something that people don't necessarily think like, oh, I should be protecting myself uh, for this, like when they're buying a house. I mean, obviously, if young people, are, you know, are interested in buying a house, the market's a little bit different right now. But, uh, you know, just speaking, speaking generally, if uh, for those who, you know, maybe interested in this podcast and learn a little bit more about that. Um, deadlines are the most important thing. If there's a contract in his deadlines treat it like your boss gave you a deadline. And if you don't do it, you're going to lose your job. Like that sounds severe, but if you're putting all this money down, don't go past the deadline. Don't do it. 
just don't. Um, so things that seem simple because you can verbally say, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. But then if it becomes an issue, no one knows that you had that conversation saying it's fine. And then, you know, you end up in court and it doesn't look fine. Um, so trust us, trust us to read, trust us to take care of you and make sure you abide by your deadlines. Get everything in writing. We like everything in writing. <laughs> and I know you mentioned that there were uh, a lot of changes recently with kind of the pandemic and everything changing so rapidly. Yeah. Uh, one of those discussions I think within the legal field has been change in how we work. So what have been some changes that you either noticed or you think are right around the corner that, um, you know, aspiring law students, lawyers, uh, people who might need a lawyer should look out for? Um, adaptability is huge. And honestly, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing because um, I think there's going to be a lot less person-to-person -person interaction. I don't necessarily like that. I really don't. Um, because I think there's something special, especially in kind of a serious business transaction like that. So just having someone in front of you, because I think that's the way you build connection. That's the way you build trust. Um, so especially for younger, you know, younger attorneys, professionals alike, working on how to build that sort of connection, um, virtually, because whether that's fortunate or unfortunate, that's going to just become increasingly prevalent. Um, yeah, make connections, make connections with as many people as you can. Don't be afraid, put yourself out there. And just because you're a professional doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be friendly. Um, just because I'm an attorney, I talk to any, any person like, like I would my friends. I'm pretty casual, you know, don't, please don't call me attorney Angelo. I'm Danielle, you know, it's not that serious. Talk to me like a person. I'm going to talk to you like a person. That's it. Um, because at the end of the day, it doesn't need to be that complicated. I'm here to help you out. Let's get it done. All right. Um, so obviously, Andrew talked about like sort of uh, maybe adv maybe advice or reflections on the COVID on COVID and working within that context. But I'm curious if you have any advice for young people, maybe young Portuguese Americans watching this podcast who want to become an attorney. Um, if you had any, or, you know, maybe who some, or maybe young Portuguese American in law school, any sort of uh, wisdom, insights, et cetera, uh, oh that you might bestow upon us. Um, never take for granted Portuguese home cooking. That will get you through the longest study nights. Um, but yeah, all jokes aside, um, don't be afraid to admit when you need help, uh, need help. You know, we've talked about, especially in the Portuguese community, we're, you know, hardworking people. Um, I think there is a lot of strong feelings of needing to demonstrate strength and resilience. You know, so many people our age have parents that came here when they were young and have gone through a whole lot of difficulties. So the stuff that you or I go through may seem insignificant. Don't discount that you know, anything that you're going through, don't be afraid to admit when you need help, especially if you have a close knit community, tell them, rely on them. That is huge. Um, and don't doubt yourself either. Don't doubt yourself either. Um, I know for my parents, my mom, especially, um, 
it was very much the traditional when you're 16, you leave school and you get a job because you can contribute to the family. Um, that wasn't my mom. She wanted to stay in school and she ended up running away from home because otherwise she would have been beaten pretty badly if she didn't go to work. Um, and, and, and that's a lot to go behind. That's a lot to be like, okay, I need to work this hard. I need to do that much. Um, don't cause yourself to suffer physically or mentally for that, you know, work hard, but within reason, listen to yourself, listen to yourself, trust yourself, but listen to your own needs. That's, that's important. So my cats are trying to break in. That's just like the most like universal thing. I feel like in some ways, like the, this, like carrying the torch you feel. And, and I feel like in some ways, like, obviously like you can't compare like the immigrant experience, you know, to being first born, whether it's in Canada or the United States or somewhere else, like, mm -hmm. you know, it, like that immigrant experience is like, it's, it's just so much. And mm -hmm. I would never, I would never compare, you know, my struggles or my, the obstacles that I face in my life, like with the immigrant experience. But like, in some ways, like, I feel like, it articulates itself differently, like the challenges, yeah. but it, it's like, it's almost like a lost generation, I feel in some ways, because, you know, in America, it's like, they're an immigrant or like, you're a US citizen. There's no, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like there's, it does feel like a lost generation. And actually one of my ideas in this like podcast was like calling it like the in-betweeners. Like, because like in some way, and, and you think about it with terms of age, I, I do feel like, um, you know, I mean, particularly here, like when you see sort of the immigration patterns, like in this area uh, of the United States, you know, in sort of the Northeast, like this is like sort of an in-between generation. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, obviously I can speak on that for the like entirety of the country. Like, listen, listen, I'm not a Portuguese historian. I'm just, just anecdotal evidence. But, um, you know, uh, but I do think like the way that, you know, our struggles are sort of captured is like to not captured at all. Like in, in the American experience, I feel like, you know, we whether it might not be necessarily the Portuguese, you know, film you put on, mm -hmm. um, you know, this like Portuguese American, you know, immigrant experience. It might not necessarily be that, but we know the immigrant experience. You, there's tons in popular culture that you can see, um, you know, from other countries, you know, from other nationalists, from other ethnicities, et cetera, um, where you can sort of see like uh, the immigrant experience. So I think in some ways people understand it in, mm -hmm. in a way that uh, maybe that the, the firstborn here maybe doesn't like that, that immigrant, that experience isn't necessarily like understood in the same way in America. I mean, I don't know. That's just, that's something I've thought about for a really long time, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever thought like in, in that sort of like context, whatever, but. No, and it's interesting you say that. And it's a conversation that I've had with my dad um, a couple of times before where he's been here, he's been here 50 years. He's been here the vast majority of his life. Um, but he says a lot of times when he's here, he's the Portuguese guy. But whenever he goes, you know, visit home, he's the American. He's like, so what am I? So in either place, I'm always the other. I'm never 
one of. Um, and that's difficult for him to reconcile a lot. Um, and I think that's difficult for a lot of people is, you know, you kind of talk about that in between. I think there's almost a little bit of, I don't want to call it an identity crisis. That might be a little bit severe, but there is exactly. There's these, you know, competing tensions here where, you know, if we, if we bring these traditional values, then it's, oh my gosh, that's what makes you different. But then if you go back to the traditional values, it's, whoa, you've become too modernized and Americanized, slow it down. Where's that happy middle? You know, I don't know. I leave this to the universe to, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, but, you know, my take from that is it, it, it really stinks, I can imagine, to feel that way. But for anyone having kind of those competing identities, take the best pieces of both. Just try to take the best pieces of both. Because um, you know what? If I wasn't Portuguese, probably wouldn't be able to cook as good as I do. I wouldn't have as close of a family as I do, probably. Um, I wouldn't have funny stories to tell about, you know, walking in religious processionals and bowing and kissing the crown. And it sounds it sounds crazy, but it's funny to think about, you know, it's funny to think about going to weddings with all these cousins that I've never met before, but we get together and it's like, okay, here's a party. Let's go. Um, you know, these are all things that make me different, but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, you know, and if I were to go back to Portugal and if I were to go back to, you know, like I said, when my mom was a kid, I would, you know, I would tell my grandparents, Hey, it's okay. It's okay to stay in school. Trust me one day it'll work out. It'll actually be a good thing. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it's okay to, to, to bend your ideals a little bit. That's what makes us, you know, bigger, stronger people is getting out of the comfort zone a little bit. So embrace it. I wish it wasn't, you know, a polarizing thing. So I hope that's what people can, can take from those competing identities. This is, this is why we're friends. She's such the optimist. You know what I mean? So I try. It's got to balance it out. I try. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll become jaded, but not today. I don't know, Andrew. Do you, do you feel like that though? Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm like silent. I'm thinking about it because, like, for me, it was different because I didn't have those surroundings with like a lot of other Portuguese Americans. Yeah, let so, people know. Let people know like exactly where. So we yeah, have some so context. I grew up in in Wichita, Kansas. Um, you know, we were like. Like I said, the only ones in the state, probably. Uh, Danielle, you were on the Missouri side, so yeah, you know, so you yeah, it wasn't wasn't too far away, but it was. Yeah. You know, I talk like you know I don't have an accent, but my dad does, right? So people from the outside, like they see my last name, they're like, "Oh, are you Italian?" Like people had no idea. Um, a lot of people even thought Portugal was part of Spain. Like that's you know, if there's something that makes us upset, that's it. So. It was a lot of explaining to people like, yeah, Portugal is a country like it's just like very base level. And then I think for the most part, it wasn't seen as like too different. Of course, whenever it was like came down to it, I was always rooting for Portuguese soccer teams as uh, people found out a little weird. But I think, you know, even without that community, I did get along with other immigrant groups. Like I think about my friends. I think about the guys I played soccer with. Like almost all these people were immigrants. They, their parents either from like Iran, from the UK, from Mexico, Guatemala. Like I just had this innate connection with them because I think we understood this this tension, even if we didn't speak about it on a daily basis, 
you know, we could be practicing together on the soccer team. And that was there. That was a bond that we shared. So I think I've worked on, on taking the best from both, but sometimes of course it's a challenge. I mean, you know, what do you let go of? What do you keep? You know, when I have kids someday, like, what do I want to, what do I want them to have? Uh, you know, that's going to be a challenge. It's not going to be easy. Absolutely. It's like spot on, <laughs> spot on. Um, and just cause you mentioned the the name thing, I actually, I don't think I've ever told you this thing though, but like, uh, when like you first started, you know, we worked together, um, and I was at the firm and obviously, uh, we were at a firm that had, uh, quite a bit of turnover. Um, so when someone new came around, I was a little bit kind of see, this like sussing out period of like trying to, how do they work? Mm-hmm. How do they talk? How do you interact with these people, et cetera. So it's always sort of this like sussing out period. Um, and I just remember like you coming on and I just, and this, uh, like this, this, this was like a moment for me. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever told you this. Don't go making me all emotional, Kayla. Come on. No, 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 no. Trust me. Uh, listen, okay. listen, we're not trying to, we're not trying to cry on the first podcast. Um, <laughs> wait till like episode three, at least. Um, no, but, uh, but like when I, when I saw like your, uh, obviously your last name, you know, looking at documents, et cetera, and like saw your last name, like I immediately thought that you were Italian. Everyone and, does. Yeah. And, and, does. and I was like, once, once I thought like, once you obviously spoke to me and told me a little bit about your, your parents, I was like, what does it mean that like, you know, I'm someone who talks about representation a lot. What does it mean that like, there's a Portuguese American, you know, colleague that I have that I automatically think that she's Italian and because especially in particular at the attorney level right like we see people at you know legal assistants we see you know we go to the hospital we see nurses uh, mm-hmm. that are Portuguese we don't often see Portuguese doctors right so mm-hmm. I was I was like and I just remember like having like a, a real reckoning with it I don't, I don't think I ever told you this because this would be like a little bit much but over be this certainly definitely definitely too much but uh yeah just like that sort of reckoning of like wow I don't even expect people to be in this space that are like me mm-hmm. you know what I mean and it, obviously like I'm happy to connect with people on all kinds of levels um whether it's you know sometimes it's not cultural sometimes it's you know in other ways and articulates itself different ways but but I do think like that that for me that was something that was like wow like wide like eye-opening and I think part of like you know in some ways like if you're and and to me it struck me in particular because obviously like you know I went to school in Maryland came back up here um and to be here like what what part of my brain I'm working in East Providence Rhode Island (laughs) we're talking about the densest Portuguese city uh and probably I think it's like I think Rhode Island's third now for us, like the percentage of it was like somewhere between like one and three of like the percentage of Portuguese people mm-hmm. is the highest, um, you know, in Rhode Island, like relative to population, obviously. Um, and I'm in like the densest, like, like little Portugal of Rhode Island. And I'm not expecting to work with a Portuguese American lawyer. I'm, ex- you know, that person's Italian or something. And obviously like, you know, Danielle Angelo, you know, it, it could very well be uh, an Italian name. My first name is French. My last name's Italian. You know, 
And here I am, you know, I'm just a European cocktail, I guess, you know, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Um, But no, it's, it's true. And I think that really resonates where I think we see how much has gone into it, how much work has gone into it that unfortunately we see the struggle that it's been and that, you know, we kind of discount ourselves a little bit as a people. Um, I'm not going to say that that's right or wrong, but you know, I, I get it. Cause you don't see, you don't see many people like us. Um, and I think there should be more representation because that's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of why our families came here was to, you know, build something and get off of these little islands that didn't really have a whole lot of other options. Um, you know, here are those options right now. And it doesn't mean you got to go and be a lawyer, go do whatever you want to do. But the fact that there are those options to go do whatever you want to do, that was kind of the whole point. And I hope people can really embrace that and be proud of that too. You can still have that traditional Portuguese value and culture while go, you know, going to do whatever profession you want to do. Um, if you want to be a business professional and go to school for all these years, go for it. If you want to go into the arts, you know, go for it. But the fact that there are all these options, you know, I, I hope that the community kind of, get some more representation um, across the board. That'd be sweet. Yeah, I think like, uh, I, I think you're absolutely spot on to say like, you know, like creating options. I always feel like, you know, if you're someone who enjoys working with their hands, like by all means, like pursue that. If you wanna, you know, provide yourself more opportunities, go to a technical school and go and, you know, pers- and see what's out there that you might be interested in. But I always find it like, I don't want people to feel like those doors aren't available to them because it might not be in their immediate surroundings. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking personally, like I didn't know any Portuguese lawyers. I knew Portuguese land. I could name five Portuguese landscapers. Mm-hmm. You know, I could name Portuguese construction workers, Portuguese teachers, uh, but not a whole lot of, of other things. So I do find it's like trying to have that creativity. Um, you know what I mean? To like, but, but people need to know that those doors are open. And I also feel like in some ways, like, like we need to create like other pipelines. And, uh, you know, I've had this idea a lot, like and talking about like uh, forming business partnerships, you know, with like, for example, we have these like Portuguese schools that kids kind of phase out of. And, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong. I was like student number one that phased out. I learned more from like playing Uno with my grandmother than I did at the Portuguese school in forever, but, you know, like having those sort of like pipelines might pe- keep people like that are, you know, getting a little bit older, you know, interested in staying with, you know, the Portuguese school because they're actually like forming a relationship with a business or something. So a high school kid might actually be like, oh no, this is worth it. They're going to help me, you know, shadow someone else in a job that I, I would like to do someday, or they're going to help me like get a, get a job where I can make a couple bucks, you know, while I'm still you know, young and in high school and trying to find a difficult, you know, in this and sometimes the job market is not great. So, you know, that I always feel like the, there are opportunities out there, but I don't know that we're necessarily like leveraging them in the same ways that like 
you know, we can maximize value and, and bring like, cause we do have like, you know, there are pockets like throughout the United States. You talk about California. I mean, our next gen group is a great example. Yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot about New Jersey, right? We, we talk a lot about like uh, sort of the Massachusetts Rhode Island area. We talk a lot about California. Um, and I, I don't know that even in those areas, we're necessarily leveraging it. Um, it's such great. I know there's been some great things happening with like the, from the school side of it, from the universities, um, obviously Denise and, and what he's doing over there um, in California. But yeah, I don't know. That's just like one thing. If, if you had to pick something, Danielle, that like could either make like the, the legal community um, like better or like or improve like uh, within our culture, like that's something that you could see, like something tangible that like potentially that um, you think like might benefit like our culture that maybe isn't out there yet or maybe maybe we just need to get it out there. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe, it's, maybe you'll say something and someone will, you know, see the video or listen to the podcast and, and drop us a line. And then, you know what I mean? Like, so people are aware of it, mm. um, but yeah. I think in general, something that I think should be more crucial and not just in the Portuguese community, but I think, I think especially in the, more American community, I'm talking people that have been here for now multiple generations, is other languages, is other languages. So I'm not even going to pigeonhole it just into Portuguese, but I think just the education of, you know, really embracing that, okay, this country really is a melting pot. We have so many people from, you know, South America. We have so many people from different areas in Europe. We have so many people from different areas in Asia. I, you know, and I think the expectation is that if other people come here, they conform to the notion of the American people. And I kind of want to shift that the other way of let's take, you know, the U.S. as it is and branch out all the little segments that there are. Let's learn more about all the little segments that there are. Let's learn more about all those pockets rather than having all those other people learn about the American ways, let's do it the exact same way. I think languages should be required, maybe more than one. Um, and I think that'll create a, a more welcoming community. And I think that'll make, um, you know, maybe more first generation communities that have had more of that in between, like we talked about before, where you don't really know where you identify, still have some of that comfort level because you're not just adapting to this US notion and letting go of all your traditional values of, even if it's not, you know, another Portuguese speaking person, you are interacting with someone who embraces culture in general. I think that's something that's so special and goes to more of an overarching community between all. Um, so I'd like to see that become just more reciprocated is let's not just learn how to become American. Let's have the American side of me learn how to become more tolerant of everybody else. I think that would be like huge. All right. Um, since we're about at the hour mark, I, I just want to ask you like, um, you know, a little bit of fun stuff. So it's not all like, you know, me, do, me doom and gloom in this place up. So, uh, so they have more footage to cut that out. Um, so I, I want, I know like one of your big hobbies um, is dancing. 
And yeah. I know that obviously in the Portuguese community, this is big, right? The chamarita and also the good stuff. Uh, I would love to get your opinion about how it sort of influenced you, like uh, maybe the por uh, Portuguese music, Portuguese dance, um, and why it's and why it's still a big part of of yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making you do it. Um, why it's still a big part of of uh, uh, of your you know your your interests and 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 your life. So. I told you this. Um, so I grew up going to the same dance studio and I recently went back, you know, I'm old as far as dancer years, but I don't care because I enjoy it. Um, so to answer that, I'm kind of going to go back and I'm going to tell you a funny story from when I was a kid. So my mom and I, every Christmas, we set a night aside where we do nothing else. We dim all the lights and we decorate the Christmas tree. And my mom and I get so hyped for it. So growing up, we had this red velvet tree skirt. So after we finished decorating, then we would do the whole nativity scene and put it on top of the tree skirt. Now, before we put the tree skirt around the base of the tree, I would take it and I'd wrap it around my waist and we'd play Portuguese music and I would dance because it reminded me so much of the dresses of traditional Portuguese dancers and we would just dance. Now, not at all, not Portuguese Christmas music, just anything. Personally, I love Santa Maria, but you know, that's me. Um, Portuguese culture is just so much about like celebration and loving life. And that's just me putting a tree skirt around, you know, my eight-year-old self and just dancing in the living room, having the time of my life. That's why I go back to it right now, because it makes me happy and being able to share that and perform that, I think there's nothing better. So, I mean, if I still fit, if it still fit around me, I would wear a tree skirt. I don't care. It was pretty fashionable, not gonna lie. And yeah, if you turn, it has the same type of effects of traditional right. So, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, I think that was a good one to end on. Uh, thanks so much, Danielle, I really appreciate you. As yeah, always. you got it. I love you guys. I'll catch. I'll catch you later, Andrew. We're not. We're not done yet. Yep. Great conversation. Great way to start the podcast. No doubt. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's Palkus's Next Gen. This week's podcast was brought to you by Palkus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. You can find this episode on iTunes, Palkus.org, Amazon Music, and any place where podcasts can be found. The Next Gen logo is designed by Silveira Designs. This podcast is produced by Aaron Homem, with post-production by Scott Donnell of Run and Drum Media and original theme music by Pedro H. Da Silva. 